Stories from California Cattle Country is produced by the California Cattlemen's Foundation and receives support from the California Cattle Council. We've created this podcast for those wanting to connect with the people and practices of far-flung ranches and dairies in California through hearing stories from and learning more about the families in cattle country. If you're listening to our episodes in order, this one may be a bit representative of our last episode, as it features ranchers operating near urban areas. A few weeks back, we visited Daryl Sweet at his ranch in Livermore, encircled by urban development. In this episode, we ventured north to Arcata, which is just north of Eureka, California, and home to Cal Poly Humboldt, to discuss ranching a few miles from the Pacific. Every environment presents a unique set of problems, whether it be inclement weather, invasive or native wildlife, or urbanization. Ranches in Arcata deal with all of the above. The main reason for my visit was to talk about elk, specifically Roosevelt elk. These elk are endemic in the area, but for a long time, populations have waxed and waned. More recently, the population has thrived. The elk don't have many existing predators, are hard on fences, they go right through them, and are prolific breeders. The elk also prefer the same feed that cows do and have the ability to access it. The elk size, population, and reproductive rates makes management pretty difficult. In this episode, we speak with ranchers Jason and Dean Hunt and Justin Mora about how they deal with the elk and about what systems they have to manage them. We also speak with Carrington Hilson, who is tasked with gathering data on the elk population in Humboldt County, which should aid in better management practices in the future. An important note here, as a rancher, seeing someone in a CDFW uniform is akin to seeing a meter maid at your car. Ranchers and ranches are heavily regulated, more than most people would imagine. Yet this biologist, Carrington Hilson, has managed to craft close relationships with area ranchers. As we drove through the county, multiple ranchers gave us unfettered access to their property in our search for Roosevelt elk. And within a few minutes, we found a herd. I'm Ryan Donahue, and this is Stories from California Cattle Country. Uh, my name is Justin Mora. I'm the part owner of Humble Auction Yard in Fortuna, California. I took over uh, as a partner in 2019 and joined my uncle. We've had it for 55 years, our family, so I'm just carrying on the family tradition. And uh, we also run a stalker operation, me and my wife. We're deep into the cattle business. I'm Jason Hunt. I'm sixth generation on our ranch, stalker ranch. We've got a few cow, couple cow ranches in the hills and out in Bridgeville, Densmore, okay. out on Highway 36. I'm Dean Hunt. I'm a cattle rancher here in Humboldt County. We have, Jason already made the comment that we have a couple of cow-calf operations in the hills. I'm fourth generation. He's really fifth. His son's sixth. Oh, but I thought I was sixth. The, uh, we're predominantly a stalker operation on the uh, Arcata Bottoms area. Uh, Humboldt County is probably one of the top, and Del Norte County for that matter, probably two of the top counties in the country to ranch in because we have such a mild climate and such a good weather for the feed. We always have green grass for shoot 10 months of the year. It's a mild climate, so the cattle really are comfortable here. Never gets too hot, never gets too cold. And I think the cattle just strive here because it's just a mild climate and they're comfortable all the time. The reason that we made this trip and the reason we came out here was to talk specifically about one issue. This area has a really unique issue in that uh, you guys have to coexist with what Roosevelt elk, is that correct? They, there get to be too many of them. They're not managed like we manage cattle. You know, we manage the cattle to be able to run a certain amount on a property. When the time comes, we have to remove the calves. 
and move them somewhere else, and then the cow herd goes back down to a start. As to where the elk, when they move in, there's nobody taking anything out other than the handful of tags that are given out each year as a draw. So they have, they are constantly reproducing year round. We've had to go through on our ranch in, Den in Bridgeville now, we were able to get a grant through NRCS to redo all our fences and put wildlife friendly fences in just for the elk, make them lower, put a smooth wire on them, make them to where that the elk won't just want to walk through them. They'll just, it's low enough they can jump over them and the calves can go under them. And it's, that has been a big improvement for us. But if that's an old fence, we've witnessed them before to where they just, if a calf can't get through it, a cow will jump back over and knock the fence down and then the calf will go through. And I think- Can I add to that? Yeah, yeah, please yeah. add to it, yeah. So the issue that we have, I'm in Northern Humboldt, Del Norte County. We have operations both in its bottom ground and what we've seen completely wiping out fences and then it's a hazard to be on the highway. Because a lot of our places are along 101. In Oric, where I live, the elk are right there on the highway. I mean, we're, they're crossing the highway. So then it becomes a liability issue for us. That's probably the biggest issue for us is liability. Because, I mean, somebody hits one of those and, God forbid, gets injured or killed, we could be liable for that. The second thing is the feed, you know, production. They have really cut our production down where we have run a lot less cattle on our places that have elk. And my wife, five, six years ago, we actually had a horse gored in the flank by a bull. Did not kill it, but the bulls get were in the rut and they get goofy where they're in the rut. Uh, my wife's horse was in the crossing where they were going and one of them gored her. And that's something else I want to address is that I think, like I said, we talked about this earlier, but a lot of people that aren't necessarily from this area don't necessarily understand how these animals are built. I was backpacking in the Lost Coast with a couple buddies and we got kind of deep in there. One of my buddies is a really slow hiker and we were hiking out that day and he's like, guys, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wake up an hour early, get ahead of you guys so you can catch up to, you know. And so I saw him, as soon as I woke up, I saw him leaving. Like he had his pack on, he was out. Those trails are tight and you can't go around anything. That's not a thing. And so I got, you know, an hour later, got my stuff all, all put together and then put my pack on and started going. I caught, caught up with him in like five minutes. And I'm like, what the hell happened, man? Like, you're not going that slow, you're not. And he's like, there was an elk on the trail and it wouldn't move. My assumption would be you could walk up to one of these animals and be like, boo, that's not what kind of animal it is. Can you guys just talk about what they look like, how much they weigh? I'd venture to say some of those big bulls have got to weigh up close to 1,000 pounds, and a cow is probably 700, maybe 800 on a big cow. So they're considerably bigger when you think a deer, probably the average deer is 120 or 30 pounds. They're eating the same thing that, that our cows eat. Deer are more, more of a browser than they are a, a grazer. So the, the elk are definitely eating the same thing that the cattle eat. They can be aggressive, and it could have been that he ran across a bull that was during the rut. When those elk go into the rut, they can be pretty aggressive. So that could have been what they got into there. Can you explain what a rut is? I, I was thinking it was like a, a divot in the... That's probably not what it is. <laughs> it's the breeding season in the fall when the cows come in heat. So the bulls... They Not a technical term, but they get goofy, and it's and up in northern Humboldt, there's usually one or two that get hit on the highway every because they're just they're chasing cows. The breeding season, I would say, is late August. It's kind of moved up a little bit, but it's mostly September and October. Yeah, I had been saying earlier we have a ranch, cow calf ranch that we used to always run about a hundred cows and calves on it year round. 
Uh, of course, we wean the calves in in June or July and bring them to town, and there's just the cows there. So there'd be a, there's a used to always be a hundred cows there. Now we've gotten to the point that we feel the ranch is comfortable with 75 to 80. And sometimes that may, through the drought years, have been too many. We have times that we'll see a couple hundred elk on our ranch now at a time. And we've got pictures of them and it's, it's pretty amazing. It's kind of a novelty just when you first see them. And then when they stay there, you go, oh my God, what do we do? But it, the interesting thing, our ranch isn't very high in elevation, but it does have a, a summer and a winter country and in the winter time the elk if the snow isn't bad they like to be up on the high part of the ranch and where the cows aren't about the time the cows move into the higher part of the ranch the elk move to the winter country that we're trying to save feed on for the next winter for those cows to have something to eat they switch their grazing habits on us if they're on you know on property and let's say that you're not having any external help from whatever like governmental agencies or whatever are there any kind of mitigation tactics you guys can use to like can you make them leave or do they just get to stay it sounds like you guys built fences that allow them to kind of do whatever they want which doesn't seem ideal but um is there are there are there any ways to 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 make them leave or or mitigate how much they're eating or any of that stuff you can try to move them on if you don't do it right i like the story that uh, justin's wife's grandfather told one time that he came home up there in Oric and he was so mad that all the elk were out there eating his feed on the bottom ground he said he turned every dog loose on the ranch he said and then i went out and rebuilt all the fences <laughs> <laughs> so the elk if they get if they get pressured they're going to run through fences they're not yeah. going to go over them so that's a downside of doing that. I, you know, I think we have the right to haze them. If we want to try to haze them to somebody else, we can do what's that. Ha- what's what's the definition of hazing? Well, hazing would be you know driving them to the neighbors, <laughs> so they can drive them back to us. Yeah, yeah. it's an endless battle. Yeah. You know, we use a four wheeler or a you know a side by side. To Dean's point as well, you can't go too fast because then it's chaos and they just take out you gotta and what we've done up there is we've put logs that the cattle won't go over but we try to make it an elk crossing if we're going too fast they don't get to the crossing they just go through your fence kind of the common thing with with neighbors out in the hills is they've told me they go yeah we boy you had a bunch of elk on your your side of the fence today and we drove really slow by them (laughs) so we didn't drive them over on us I would assume, you know, 20 years ago, it'd be something that you would just say, I'm going to take care of this on my own or whatever. It seems like you guys have kind of found that it's important to kind of involve everybody that has is a stakeholder. How important is it to have that collaboration between all the groups, some groups that might not help you out all the time, but everybody being together? Is that is that working better than it was working prior? Jason and I are on Humboldt Del Norte Cattlemen's Association. We've formed our own group with the help of Jack and Carrington and a few other landowners or board members of the Humboldt County. So we have formed an elk group. We're just, I mean, we're getting started with it. We've been joined, but I think having more more people involved in it and the ranching community and everything else is going to be heard more than one person trying to take it on on their own. One and thing I would like to add, yeah. sorry, is, you know, I speak for everybody at this table like, um, pretty easily. Ranchers are conservationists. And I think people on the outside don't understand that. They think we want all the elk gone, which we would like them more managed. 
We don't want them completely gone. I mean, it is a hindrance. I do enjoy seeing them at a level where it's not affecting our production of our ranch. I think a lot of people think, oh, you ranchers just want everything gone. That's not at all. You know, I, we worry about the deer and all the other wildlife. We're all, we constantly manage wildlife just as much as we manage our cattle on the ranch. Oh, I, I think one of my favorite things to do is just to drive around and take it all in. I mean, I think 90% of the people in our don't get the view that we get every day. You know, wildlife, yeah, I take my, I got a three-year-old and a five-year-old. And we went up on the hill. We have a hill, a little bit of hill above work. And we went looking at the elk and we just stopped. And there was four bulls on us. And our kids love that. The wildlife is part of ranching. Whether people think that or not, wildlife is a huge part of ranching operations. You know, we loved, all three of us for sure, we all love to go out to the ranch, whoever's ranch is, and go see a big buck or a big bull. You know, it's just, it's, I like doing that more than chasing one hunting them i'd rather go out and see them and watch them and i think that's just it's neat that we get this we get the chance to see them you know somebody in sacramento or san francisco they just see them on tv or on a book weight wise cow is probably going to be heavier size wise far as length and height and everything a cow elk or bull elk is going to be significantly larger a herd of cows with calves are going to run away from you they're not, they don't want anything to do with you. They don't want to be seen. You know, bull that's in the rut, it's hard to say, but normally they're going to go the opposite direction. Yeah. I think it depends on the where they are. Our ranches up yeah. in Bridgeville that we were, that we're talking about, the elk are going to be different up there than the elk that Justin talks about up in Oric that are on the, the bottom pasture ground because they're seeing people, people all the, all the time. time. Where up in the hills, they don't see the people all the time and... So there's going to be a difference in, in their attitude. I spent last night in Arcata, I went to Everett's and got to hear some awesome conversations from locals in the town. And you guys are minutes away from a college town, which is a totally different kind of wildlife. Honestly, my experience within an hour at that one bar was very, very interesting. I saw a guy come in who was, the dude must have weighed, he was probably 60 years old. He probably weighed 120 pounds, and he had a rabbit on a leash. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. <laughs> I got a picture of that somewhere. <laughs> and I'm like, this town. So Arcata's where I went to school, and then, of course, Jason did too. I have a few more years on all of you. Than, but in 1965, Arcata was known as the lumber capital of the world. And I don't know what year they were the first community in the world to start the green party so i mean this has happened in 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 my lifetime not saying that i'm old or anything but to see the change that's happened in that town is pretty remarkable so my favorite thing when i get around the the people that i know have quite a bit to do with the university i like to tell them that uh, tumbled state looks down on us because our ranching operation is directly to the east of us and they literally do look right down on where we operate our cattle so it's changed the way we look at things the way we operate i lease a big chunk of ground from the city of arcata that we run cattle on and to this point they've been great to deal with 
We have a lot of times at universities down there doing projects on the property. The one thing the city has been very good about is that if somebody wants to come down onto that property, they get my approval first. And if it's a professor wanting to bring class down there, the one ask that I have before they go on is I want to go speak to the class and I want to tell the class what we do and why we do it. I've probably done that three or four times and it's been very rewarding because there's a lot of things that somebody taking a wildlife major doesn't understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. Yeah, to kind of piggyback on what Dean, I was, to answer your question, it could be good and bad, but I think it's good that they actually get to see what we're doing. It's really, really nice that Dean goes and talks to the class because they get our side. There's not agricultural classes at Humboldt State, so they don't always understand the ranching world. They're wildlife-based. Well, they're always about the anim- you know, the wildlife. And they don't realize how much we coexist, our animals, with the wildlife and how much conservation we do for the wildlife. And I think that's a point that really gets overlooked is how much we do for the wildlife. And we, as ranchers, we all enjoy the wildlife. Dean and Jason could attest to this, but I've been around here enough in Arcata too, is if this was a 70-degree day in the summertime, we would have probably saw 50 bicyclists. Oh, yeah, and joggers. And joggers. The point being, we're not in the hills off the beaten path. We're right in the firing zone, so to say. You know, they can see everything we're doing right here. Or in Ork or anywhere along the highway. You know, our auction yard's right on Highway 101. Yeah. They can come in there anytime and see. You know, just the availability of seeing what ranchers are doing in Humboldt is probably more apparent than a lot of counties in California. One thing I want to say, too, about... Cal Poly Humboldt now is there is such a diverse student body and I think it's good that we are close they can come down here and see where their meat we have Humboldt grass-fed we sell a lot of meat in Arcata you know it's farm to plate which it's a new thing now these kids out of the city get come up here in Humboldt and they actually get to see what we're doing it doesn't come from Safeway or Whole Foods. It actually comes from a rancher and what we do. So I think turning into a Cal Poly, I think it'll student body will help educate some kids that really don't know what ranchers and farmers do every day. I know our ranch, and I know Dean's the same way because he's already done it, but we're an open book. You want to come see operation? Because I think it's our job as ranchers as well to educate what we do. We well, have to be educators. Yep, that, absolutely. That, yep. that's, that's, our, that's our job and Especially dealing with all these agencies, because the minute we think we we got somebody we can get along with and have them pretty well educated, they're going to move them somewhere else. That's the other yeah. And then and you start all over again. Yeah. Do you want to ask him about um, Carrington at all, since you're going to transition over? Can you guys, I don't know. What, what do you know about Carrington? Like, how did you guys come? Uh, I'll take that on, because... Yeah. Oh, okay. uh, I got to know Carrington when she was a biologist, or she was a private biologist for California Department of Fish and Wildlife. And now she's a full-time employee. And that's where I got to know her, and she was working on the elk and stuff. I think she's trying to do the right thing in collecting all this data to get to where we need to be. I think she's somebody we can talk to. and I think she's great. She's just one person, though. That's yeah. the problem. Well, cool. I'm excited to meet her. I hope, yeah. I want to thank you guys for hosting me and allowing me to come out. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you.
Yeah, I'm Carrington Hilson. I am the elk research biologist for California Department of Fish and Wildlife, overseeing three coastal counties, so Del Norte, Humboldt, and Mendocino. One of the things that I kind of really wanted to convey to anybody who's listening to this is what kind of animal a Roosevelt elk is exactly. And I kind of use deer as like a comparison, which I think is probably not the best comparison. But can you tell me just a little about kind of the anatomy of the animal and then and then kind of a little bit about their behaviors. Roosevelt elk are one of our subspecies. They are the largest. So a lot of people, you know, in Southern California think about tule elk, which is the smallest of the four subspecies of elk. They are, yeah, large, large herbivores, clearly an ungulate species, as you described them being similar to deer. They were, for the most part, almost extirpated from coastal Northern California. And since their populations have substantially rebound, they are expanding further in inland counties than we've experienced and further south. So they're actually going down into Mendocino and over um, into Siskiyou. We are funded through PR grants, which comes from the sale of guns and ammunition. So we're, we're basically federally funded. The main objective is to estimate abundance of elk within this hunt zone as well as to figure out several characteristics of the population as a whole. So, you know, some of the big ones are recruitment. So how many babies are being added into the population each year? What's the survival of adult cows? Where do they move? What type of habitat are they utilizing? So it basically gives us the information to hopefully better manage the species. We technically didn't reintroduce elk here. So there were some elk that we moved down to Cinquillon, which is, I mean, basically for all intensive purposes down in Mendocino. And then we also attempted to relocate some way up in Crescent City in in the interior, um, which was deemed unsuccessful. What we have now are populations of elk that have either come about from remnant populations, range expansion from those populations that we had, you know, several decades ago, or natural movement from other locations, you know, specifically Oregon. I think one of the things that complicates this story is that our ranchers haven't had elk on the landscape historically, and their numbers are growing rapidly. So it's a situation that we really don't have mechanisms in place to deal with. Ranchers, as well as hunters, are some of our biggest proponents of conservation. So when you go out to a ranch, if you mismanage a ranch, you're not going to be doing very well for your cattle. When you're managing for cattle, you're also managing for wildlife. So they're supporting large wildlife populations, and it goes beyond elk. Being a very large herbivore, they tend to basically compete with cattle for forage. So they're eating a lot of grass and they tend to go for forage that, I mean, is most attractive to livestock, right? So well fertilized and irrigated. They also tend to break fences and they will do it regularly. So there's, you know, the lack of forage for cattle and then broken fences, which, I mean, the fences are there to keep cattle in, right? So there's a a large amount of conflict. There's no winning. 
we can't remove elk from the landscape, but I feel that as a resource agency, there are things we can do to make those impacts a little less, to make ranchers feel that elk on the landscape are something that they can handle. Um, whether that be with assisting to put in crossing structures so there's less broken fences, or whether it means that they can harvest an elk. I fell in love with Humboldt um, the first time I came out, and I don't tell many people this, but I did spotted owl work um, inland. <laughs> um, and then I got my master's at HSU, and yeah, when I left to basically take a position down in Arizona, I, I definitely missed it and decided that yeah, raising a family up in Humboldt County was more important than my current career path, and I, I lucked out with this position. I was able to do a lot of ungulate work prior. I've worked with bighorn sheep and pronghorn and mule deer and did some captive work um, with Rocky Mountain elk, but definitely a passion. I did run the CWD surveillance program in Arizona for a while and just being part of ungulate research has always been a passion. I want to thank you for uh, your time today. Again, I asked you, I'm like, why did you bother to talk to me? Uh, because, and you said it was because it was important to you and this, this work is important to you. The, right? the work is very important. I want to really manage this species better. I really respect all of our constituents within these two counties. And I feel like if I can get the appropriate data, that hopefully we can see change in the future. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. If you'd like to see visuals from our travels, you can visit our website at calcattlecouncil.org or follow us on Instagram at calcattlecountry. We love feedback. If there's anything you'd like to hear from stories from California cattle country, you can contact me directly at ryan at calcattle.org. We'll be back in two weeks. Thank you for listening.